And there was stunned silence. And I just said to them, never ever complain about having an education. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 361. Today is Sunday, the 23rd of February, 2020. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. And let me say how very grateful I am for your choosing to take the time out of your very busy day to listen to this episode. This week's interview, I'm excited to bring you Ed Kirwan. Ed's a filmmaker, teacher, coach, and he's also founder of the Empathy Week UK, which runs 24th of February through the 28th. The ambition of Empathy Week is to invite 200,000 young people, mostly at secondary schools, to put empathy into action and create a better world. I'm an ambassador of Empathy Week and was delighted to get Ed on the show to talk about his ambitious project. In this chat, we discuss his route to leading the Empathy Week, the phenomenal films and assets that he's produced, and much more about how we can build more empathy into the world. Ed Kirwan, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Listen, you are a filmmaker, educator, specialist in leadership, a coach, and a man on a mission, especially something close to my heart, which is about empathy. In your own words, Ed, how would you describe yourself? Thanks, Minter, for having me on. Um, I would describe myself, well, I think you've done it quite well. Um, but yeah, very much at the heart of what I do is, is education. And then I suppose using visuals and storytelling to get people to change their behavior and actions around things that they care about. So you're a teacher. What, what, what do you teach? Yeah, so I, I started uh, my career, I suppose, as a, as a teacher. So I studied biochemistry at university. Um, I actually did a placement year as a, a research scientist for the Medical Research Institute in the UK. Uh, hated it. <laughs> uh, realized I actually got involved in outreach, a lot of outreach, whilst I was with that organization in schools and became a teacher. And I, I actually taught biochemistry for, for three years and was a head of chemistry in a school in North London. Um, and yeah, really teaching science-based based subjects, so biology, chemistry, and physics uh, up to a certain level, and then I suppose pre-university uh, chemistry. But it's just yeah, ended with me uh, kind of switching parts, but also very very much connected at the same time. In your experience, Ed, how did you? What did you find effective in teaching? So, yes, it's interesting. I think when I first went into teaching, and, and most teachers will agree, you become very grades focused, you become performance related focused, and you want students to do well in the exams. And, and that doesn't change. You always want that because whether or, whether or not um, you agree on how examination systems operate around the world, they, they are the key to opening doors getting good grades and studying. Um, however, what I realized actually made my students study more or most importantly, I suppose, work when I wasn't around, when I wasn't watching them, was actually to have empathy with them, to empathize with them, to actually care about their situation, care about their life, care about why they're late, as opposed to just punishing them for their late. And uh, I remember it kind of clipped to me. I think it was in my second year of teaching when I had a student outside and I 
probably said the best sentence I've I've said and I I stick to now, which was like there's there's not an excuse for your behaviour, but there's a reason. So can you tell me why? What's up? What's up? What's wrong? And I think that's the first kind of clear image in my head uh, and you know memory that I have of actually truly kind of empathising with a student and understanding that a behaviour is not acceptable and there's no excuse for it, but there's there's always a reason for behaviour. And by focusing on that reason, you start to learn about your students more. And if you learn about your students more and you understand them, you can tailor how you speak to them. You can tailor how you talk to them, how you give them information. And most importantly, that is what brings out their their best performance. So do you say that's really how and when you got started on your path towards this empathy week and, and your interest in empathy? Mm. Yeah. 100%. I didn't realise it at the time. And it's only been in the past year, I suppose, producing Empathy Week that I've realised all these small things that you think are insignificant at the time actually have led to this point. Um, so it's, yeah, definitely. Empathy for me, I, I wrote a blog about how I kind of came to produce Empathy Week. And it didn't start with me getting involved in homelessness and creating stories Um around that to change people's minds. It's, it started in the classroom. It started uh, with me realizing that, well, really trying to teach my students empathy and, and perspective at the time. I, I remember students, there was one girl in particular, obviously I can't say her name, but um, I gave them her, my year 11. So they're 16 year old students for people listening who aren't in the UK. <laughs> um, and I gave them honest, honestly 15 minutes worth of exam questions. Um, not very much homework at all, actually less than they should have got, but I was always keen to give them something that I thought was useful and that would be most effective over a whole weekend. And this one girl says, sir, I've got a party on Saturday night. I can't, I can't do, why are you giving us homework? I've got so much homework already. And I just kind of, uh, I never shouted, but I flipped and I just went into a, uh, a quite serious uh, mode and I, I actually think I just spent the whole lesson then talking to them about what was going on at the time it was when um, ISIS were very much in control of Syria and schools were being bombed and I don't know if you've seen uh, Netflix um, film The White Helmets no. in Syria no. so it's about the kind of volunteers in Syria who go out and go into bombed out buildings and pull people from the rubble and respond as soon as there's an airstrike you know amazing amazing people and i just got the youtube trailer up to that and put it on and there was just stunned you know silence and especially because some of the students in my class were refugees mm -hmm. afghan refugees for you know who've seen horrific things come over when they're nine or ten um syrian refugees and, and generally my school was around 85 percent um ethnic minority backgrounds and 67% were English uh, was their second language. Um, so, you know, really diverse mixed cultures who's a lot of their parents have come across to this country to give them a better life. And I think some of them haven't maybe engaged with why they've, their parents have come here and there was stunned silence. And I just said to them, never ever complain about having an education never ever complain were you, you know were you shot on the way to school hmm. and i've realized by you know my head teacher wouldn't have been happy at the time but 
you know, stopping the lesson, stopping a science lesson and, and giving them this perspective as much as I could at the time. That's what makes students engage with their own life and what makes them engage with the reasons behind doing something. Because if you just hammer them with, you need to get an A grade, you need yeah. to get an A star grade. Well, that, that's not motivational. But realizing that you you have a an opportunity that other people your age do not have, that you are safe, that you have the chance to change the world when you're older, um, and you gain that perspective, that is so vital and so powerful for engaging students. And a lot of the time students would say to me, oh, sir, you're running revision classes after school. All, this, all these other teachers are running them. And I said, I will run revision. I will run a breakfast revision at 7 a.m. on a Friday morning. And I'll be there for an hour and a half before school starts. And, it, and I did it with another teacher. And part of the reason for doing that was because you realize that the people that would get there at that time um, would really, really want the help and really need it. And also, you can't just help. You can't run revision classes every day after school because that isn't teaching students to take responsibility for what they're doing. And actually, I found that by doing less revision classes, they would struggle a little bit on their own, but then they would come with the real problems that they had. But definitely, the my route, my path to, towards focusing on empathy, hundred percent started in the classroom. Hmm. There's a lot of things you said in there, Ed. And uh, the first was the idea when you're applying empathy in a classroom situation, it feels like it does have to be one by one. You, you can't mm. sort of just do blanket empathy. Hundred percent. Yeah, I and, think. Sorry, I was. I think that's what we we the problem that we do in schools is that we well firstly we set classes right based on in, in intelligence uh, scores in tests um, and the reality is that if you look at a lot of the reasons for those scores it's not because you know I'm a massive believer in growth mindset um, and like Carol Dweck's work. And there's there's a, a reason why some children fall behind, and that is gen, generally to do with their uh, home life and what's going on. And you can't blanket empathy. You can't be like, oh, today's you know it's just after Christmas, so we're all feeling a little bit down because we're back at school. And mm-hmm. you can't just choose these points throughout the year where everyone has to feel the same. It has to be individualized. And the problem with education and teachers is that teachers are amazing, are the most fantastic people. Um, I take my hat off to people because I've left teaching. I kind of burnt out um, that do it. It's, it's what I describe as the, the best uh, and hardest job in the world. Um, and sometimes the worst job in the world because hmm. you feel that you want to, you want to empathize with all your students individually. But when you're a teacher like me in a secondary school and actually over a week you'll teach 250 different students, how do you find the time to do that, empathise with each individual? But if we, if we did have that time, my God, education would change. You know, if you increase the number of teachers and you decrease the amount of um, uh, numbers in class and you really focused on building those relationships, that would that would change the world really 
So another thing that you spoke about in your story was, I would say, almost tough love, where it you know it's seven in the morning for your Friday extra session. Mm. It's uh, pushing back at oh, I got a party to go to, and and demonstrating that life actually is shit, and and you need to buckle up and and you know get ready for the ride. It's you're going to have to put in and suck it up. Yeah, I, th- I think li- life's not easy for anyone, and I think this is this is about empathy as well because you know s- so many people will say, well, at least you've you know at least you're white and you're a male, and and I completely acknowledge the fact that I have probably won the lottery in terms of human. Right, I'm white. I'm male. I was tall. born in the UK. I'm tall. I'm six foot five. Handsome. Oh, wow, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, and I'm straight, right? So in terms of uh, what do I have to come up, come up against in terms of uh, my appearance and, and my culture, uh, nothing really, right? And so I, I'm fully aware that it's very easy for me to say a lot of things. Um, but at the same time, no one, everyone goes through hard times. Um, I don't know when this is being released, but just this weekend, obviously, like Caroline Flack, uh, a presenter who's very well known in the UK, sure. took took her own life on Saturday from what outsiders would look like. Well, it's fu- like it doesn't matter if you know we say something bad on Twitter to her because she's a millionaire and she's a presenter and she's in the spotlight. And it, it doesn't work like that. You can't judge people on their on what they have, like physically. Um, it's you have to look at everyone as an individual, and actually, people have people have feelings, and I think even uh, you mean even rich people, even famous, even people? rich people. I, one day, maybe when I'm rich, I'll tell you what, what if I still have feelings or not. Yeah. Um, but I think, in a weird way, um, teaching, being a teacher, is almost like being a celebrity. I think, um, and what I mean by that is like, if you see a, a child outside of school, they are stunned. Right, that they see you. Right, they're like, oh, oh my God, Mr. You know, Mr. Kerwin. Oh, you're right. you're outside of school. They they think you live there. They think that you sleep under your desk there. Um, they also think that you, you know, they find everything about your personal life so interesting. They want to find it out. Um, they probably say bad things about you, <laughs> or, or good things, and tweets about you, and all this sort of stuff. Um, but it's just, yeah, I think it's it's difficult situation isn't it life is hard for everyone at different times and i think we forget that and life is harder for certain people but but having been to india having spent months and a few months in uganda having spent time in mexico and also having spent a lot of time in the uk um where i do i run a homelessness community in london that, that brings organizations and charities together to to better um collaborate Having spent time with these people, especially vulnerable people, you realize that um, you, you do have to empathize with people on an individual level and that material wealth doesn't equate to happiness at all and doesn't equate to satisfaction. And especially in India, when I've seen people with, with next to nothing, the, the usual Western privileged response is to go, oh, it's, it's so bad, isn't it? Or I want to donate money to them. But they don't want your money. They, if anything, they feel sorry for you. And and this idea of when I was in Uganda, I was working 
uh, with the Department for International Development in the UK, and we're working with entrepreneurs. And people think in Uganda that you know, the Western idea of Uganda is that everyone's poor and all of this stuff. The, the reality is that Africa is an, as a continent, and like East Eastern Sub-Saharan Africa, where where I was. Um, they're, they're skipping steps that we've taken. So, for example, from cash money, they've almost skipped credit cards and bank cards to, to mobile money. Mm. They will walk into what what is the equivalent of our news agent, and it might be made out of wood, and it might be a wooden hut or a metal shack. But then you go in there and you buy yourself, I don't know, a newspaper or whatever, and you uh, text the amount of money you owe to the person behind the counter. Yeah, a- They are... There are leaps ahead in terms of, uh, you know, that sort of sense of technology and, and using it in their daily life. And I think there's an arrogance with Western culture um, that West is best. Yeah, there's a frowning because it's sort of low tech. I mean, it's really innovation using low tech. Well, that's just a bloody text message. Yeah, but you had to come up with the idea. And by the way, you have to figure out the the network and the linkings in between the state, the pharmacy, the shops, the uh, banks. And, and so there's a whole uh, infrastructure, a mindset that went behind that small little low-tech idea. Mm. Um, and in, in looking at empathy, which is something we, we both spend a lot of time on, one, what's, let's start with what is your definition of empathy? Yeah, interesting. I, for, because for me, I'm, I, I suppose I first went into empathy relating it to kindness, as I think most people mistakenly do. Um, even when I first thought the idea of empathy week about a year ago, the idea initially was to make students kinder. Right. But but as, as you know, as you kind of read and study about empathy and, and listen more about it, you realize that that, that isn't the definition. And, and my definition, I don't I don't know if I have one that I completely roll off the tongue, but it's very my definition is very much about being able to take the perspective of another so that you can act accordingly to that perspective. So, yeah, perspective right. taking. Right. As so a, as a theme. Yeah, uh, I like that. The thing that runs through my mind as I hear the all these stories you've done in Uganda and, and India and as a teacher in let's call it the school of hard knocks or the school with you know so many disadvantaged uh, immigrants and who've had more difficult experiences all the same than you and I have and mm-hmm. it can it can I don't want to say bring you down but it can certainly take your energy because in order to have that one-on-one listening space perspective taking, you need to be all in. You can't just do it fleetingly and oh yada yada oh another one of those. No, it's yeah. this particular story. So the the thought I have is well, you know, like doctors and nurses and mm. teachers and, and a number of different professions that should have more empathy. There is a a concern at some level about the amount of energy that it takes as well. What's your spin on that? Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. I think that's, that's the danger is burnout, right? Empathy burnout and, and burnout of doctors. Rarely. I've got a few friends with doctors. I don't think they leave their, their job on time any day because, you know, you're faced with a situation where someone needs your help 
and you're like, well, it's five o'clock, I need to go home. Um, and they don't do that because because they are generally empathy driven or em- empathy centered. But then that brings the danger of um, of, of burning out and and because it because empathy is hard and it's a skill. It, I, I think it, this is this is what Empathy Week's about. It's about providing a platform for young people to practice empathy and to get it wrong and to make mistakes and to learn along the way of what empathy really is about. And it's harder than you think. It's not about being kind. Being kind is an after effect, is a result as as uh, you will of, be, of being empathetic. Um, but but it's it's dangerous, and actually that's something we talked about with Empathy Week as well, is that we don't want because because obviously we're putting out Empathy Week, but it's going to a hundred thousand students who are going to watch these films and take part or whatever. But some of these students will be under enormous pressure already. Some of these students will be carers. Some of these students will be affected by the themes that are seen in the videos. And what we don't want to do is is put pressure on those students to carry out a social action project. Imagine you're a young carer and you're actually looking after your mum and your dad's died and you're 13 years old. The last thing that you need to be told is, oh, you should be carrying out a social action project mm. um, because it, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous for health. So it, it's we need to be careful about how we... Um, integrate this into schools and that's kind of on teachers and we've created a teacher pack for mm-hmm. to kind of explain that um, but yeah it's I think I've learned a lot through especially documenting uh, and working with especially grassroots organizations uh, in the UK who who deal with people who are homeless um, on the streets and I think there's I've, I've seen a few organizations grassroots start and end just within the space of a year or two years. And I think a lot of that is attributed to empathy burnout or this, this idea that this pressure of we need to keep going, we need to help these people. Uh, and, and actually there's a lot of ineffectiveness within that sector, which is, which is why actually I started nearly two years ago, this community um, to bring people together to realize that, actually you're not in it alone and a lot of people come to these events to just actually re-energize and realize that there's other people tackling the same issue that care about the same issue and that that stuff can be done together and i think that's that's really important i think also that's part of the purpose of empathy week is to enable students to come together and say we care about these situations and we can do something about it I've pro- I've digressed a bit from your point. I feel like don't worry, but, um, it's all good. Is is something like self empathy a necessary prerequisite to avoid empathy burnout? Oh, so by self empathy, you you mean kind of I Apply, guess applying it to yourself? Have, yeah, yeah, having having a look at your own. Oh, yeah, I, th- I think so. I don't know how. I know I've listened to a few podcasts and things and read a bit about self-empathy and people, some people say it's impossible, right? Um, hmm. I think it's like being objective, completely objective yeah. about yourself, but it, but it is to a certain, you can do that to a certain level, I think. And I, I think, yeah, it, it's almost like self care, right? That's right. Realizing that take care of number I, one I, before you have to put I, on the, the, the mask. Yeah, and I'm probably not very good at this. So you're, <laughs> you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> 
Um, but I think it is vital. I think you need to switch off and you need to need to be able to disconnect. And um, uh, I've read uh, Paul, Paul Bloom's book mm-hmm. um, against about empathy. empathy and yeah, against empathy. And he makes some really good points as well that, you know, often your initial reaction isn't, isn't the best one. Um, and I, I, again, I'm going to put this into a situation that I know of, but that with, with people who are rough sleepers, let's say in the UK, I know that, situation is is really horrendous in the states but in the uk people feel very awkward uh when they walk past someone who's rough sleeping and they often give money but they give money out of guilt or they give something or they don't know what to do so they actually ignore most of the time whereas what i was doing and what i've continued to champion is that you should always no matter what if you don't have any money or any food or anything or you don't want to give money you don't want to give food you should always look to that person on the street. Yeah, connect. Because you can say you can hello. Quickly or... connect with them. Exactly. And I think that, that kind of, again, I'm digressing, but it goes against this idea of that empathy, um, you, you know, not, not always your initial response to empathize is the right one. Right. Um, and that you should, again, that's education, I suppose, and, and learning about a certain situation. But you should you should really think about that other person. And I think we often give money and stuff to people who are who are on the streets because actually it feed it makes us feel better rather than actually thinking about the other person. Um, so again, I've digressed off the point it's of self empathy. Hey Ed, um, you so, can't keep me on the same point. No, it's all good. Uh, in 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 the narrative that's running through my mind as I listen to you is that we've got this minister of loneliness in the uk we've got uh, numerous mm. surveys indicating that our people are unhappy or feeling disconnected despite all the connectivity and and there's this idea of talking to strangers as a as some people use a as a way to develop your empathy but also as a way perhaps to rekindle your own energy because there's a, a new thing by connecting with new and new people and, and hearing new stories. And so, Ed, you, let, I want to finish the last portion of this talking, of course, about specifically what is Empathy Week and these amazing videos you uh, have produced. I was lucky enough to see them at their premiere uh, with these stories with Vijay Bars and Sapna and Pankash and Ravina. Uh, fantastic story. So tell us more about what you're trying to do at Empathy Week and how you're going to use these films. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me, sorry. Um, 100%. So the, 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 the idea behind Empathy Week is to turn, I suppose, compassion that young people have, uh, but turn that into action. And we, coming from a teaching background and coming from then my visual, I, after teaching, I went into video and photography and storytelling. I've kind of matched, matched them together. Um, and the idea is that teaching empathy for us is not enough. You, you can't just stand in the classroom and talk about it. You can't just just show videos and you can't just have discussions. Yes, that is part of Empathy Week. But after that, we actually drive young people into their own social action projects about things that they care about. And there's a guide and they can follow that to produce something. It could be a simple fundraiser even. Um, they could do a cake sale for to raise money for a charity that they care about, or they could start a focus group around an issue in their school. It could be bullying or it could be homophobia or something. They could run an awareness event, a campaign. But 
what we want students to do is is we provide a platform, a risk-free platform, right? Try it. It may fail. You may organize an event. No one turns up. It doesn't matter. You've still learned from that and actually really developed leadership skills. But the the thinking behind the, the process is that they have five videos over five days and you start with a video. Why a video? Because young people, we can't ignore the link between technology, social media, video, and young people. We I hear it all the time. Like it infuriated me actually at the school that I taught at that phones were banned because it because we can use them in a positive way. Why are we banning something because we think it's bad or negative when actually they're not going to go away? Um, social media isn't going to go away. So rather than ban it, why don't we show it being used for good? Why don't we show young people how to use it as a storytelling platform, how to how they can use it to create change? And uh, in the UK, I don't know what the stats are for around the world. I'm pretty sure they're probably similar. In the UK, uh, students, uh, young students take, on average, over five hours a day there on their mobile phones. Now, if you're at school for like eight of those, that's pretty much morning and afternoon or evening. You are on your phone online, and that's the average. So there'll be some kids that are on it. For hours and hours and hours and hours. And what is the, the number one medium for social media now? It's video. Instagram, more and more videos now rather than photos. Um, TikTok is a completely, mm-hmm. is the fastest growing social media platform in the world. And it is, it's only video. So if we can engage students with a powerful 10 minute video that tells a real life story that has no kind of, ulterior motive other than to show really the perspective of someone else's life from a different culture then we can hook them then we can talk about the issues in it so for example day four Ravina's story is all about um, gender equality she talks about her journey from being in a slum and she's still in that slum she still lives in that same community but she talks about her cutting her hair to look like a boy so that she won't be harassed as much through her as she walks to you know 10 miles to football training through other slum communities you know that's immensely powerful to realize that a young 19 year old girl is, is is willing to change her appearance to to stop that and then what we do is we engage students with that we say with the younger students we've differentiated it so we say you know what even is gender equality does it does inequality exist in the uk or not and some students will go no like people don't have to do that here and then the older students with that same story we're talking about uh period poverty and the tax on period you know sanitary products and things like that and also we 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 change the discussion around the same film um to the level of those students and what they're thinking and then hopefully the benefit of that is that Say you're a parent and you have a child who's in uh, year seven, who's, who's 11 years old, a child who's 14 years old, and a child who's 18 years old. They can come back home having watched the same film uh, but had a dis- uh, and had a discussion around it. But at the level that they kind of can, can speak on and they can then uh, still all speak about that together as a, as a family. You know, that's the, the idea, isn't it? Whether that happens or not, I don't know. Mm. But engaging students with these films discussions and then there's lesson resources and and the benefit is for teachers it's all made and it's it's not about teaching empathy it's about facilitating those discussions mm-hmm. so we stay away from the t- really i've designed i haven't been a teacher myself i've designed it so that teacher gets in on a monday morning they go oh crap i've got to i've forgotten about empathy week um i need to open it up 
and they can literally open up the presentation. They can get a child in their class to read read it out because it's like discussion based mm-hmm. and it's facilitated. Click on the link, watch the video, talk about it, and they've had to do nothing. And even the lesson activities, if they want to do half an hour or an hour, are in that are in that format. And then at the end, towards the end of the week, over the following six weeks following it. Um, they can engage with social action projects. They can start doing it. But again, the onus is on them to to really take that on. Sure, you can't be doing that for everybody. So no. one, one last thought within that is the facilitation component. Because mm. the films are, are very powerful and they're really well done. They're engaging stories. They're, I mean, Sap and I just fell in love with her personality. Yeah, she's great. And yet it's a talent to facilitate the conversation because you can quickly enter bias. You can quickly yeah. uh, stop listening to someone else because I like to say, being a storyteller myself, storytellers, stories beget stories. Mm-hmm. And and so, oh, that reminds me of the time of. And, and so then, well, you want to let that run a little bit, but you also need to have the patience to have, do that as the facilitator or teacher in this case. So what kind of advice do you give them in trying to guide their facilitation? Yeah, we, we, we go with student led really. Um, we want, we want it to be student led. We want, ideally the teacher kind of stays out of it. I think that's, that's the ideal and it involves a lot of trust, right? I, I'm a bit, <laughs> a bit nervous about really putting empathy week out there because, um, I wouldn't say I'm a control freak, but I like to I like to lead. I like to take control on things. And so putting out this resource for, for teachers to use, even within the same school, every single classroom will have a different discussion. Why? Because everyone is different and everyone has different opinions. Everyone has different views. And I suppose that that's at the root of empathy, right? Everyone is a completely different person. And to understand that person, like you say, you need to give time. And to have these discussions, you need to give time. And I could see actually you could have a whole day of discussion on some of these videos. Mm. Um, but really my, my advice to teachers is or to people facilitating is to, to, to go with naturally the conversation. Don't try and steer it away. Yes. There's so many things to talk about, but try and allow people to say what they think. And, and I think the difficulty is going to be trying to, yeah, not, not have people feel like they're not heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we piloted it. We piloted it in a few schools um, before Christmas, actually. And I think the one really powerful story that that hit me was this one teacher said to me, um, "I've had this quite quiet girl in my class. Um, she's she's come to the school a couple of years ago from Pakistan. And although it's filmed in India, this this young girl kind of stood up and said, "This is this is this is what it's like where I come from. Like vision. This is." This is where I came from, something very similar to this. And for the first time, she kind of felt the ability to show her classmates what her culture is and, and where she's come from. And like, wow, what an immensely powerful story. This girl felt that mm. almost like she was being listened to in a weird way and that she was being represented, but also that she could show her classmates who she is and where, and where she comes from. Yes, it's India and Pakistan and their relationship's not great, but the cultures are, uh, are, are similar in certain aspects. Mm. And I just think this is the amazing thing about Empathy Week. We're reaching over 100,000 students 
every conversation is going to be different. Every discussion is going to be different. And maybe a lot of the great things that happen, I will never hear of. But it's giving that platform to young people to to use. And it's a gift, really. It's for them to use as they as they can and as they want to. So Empathy Week is February 24 to 28th in the UK. What about yep. a, you know, a school in Austin, Texas, who says, oh, Empathy Week, interesting. How, can, I, can I do it too? Absolutely. I think I started with the intention of just the UK. I mean, I, I eventually wanted it to go globally, but actually this year, some sneaky schools from across, across the world, uh, actually we've got 18 countries um, now, uh, or schools from 18 countries who have registered and who have signed up. Um, but also knowing that it's the first week, I feel a lot of schools are actually going to find out about this after or during mm. Empathy Week. Um, but that is the beauty of it. We obviously want schools to take part in the same week and next year will it will still be the last week of February. But there is nothing to stop any school from downloading the resources um, in September even and running it then. Mm. Um, so all they need to do is go on to uh, empathy-week.com, sign up, and they get all the resources that they they need to run it. So there's there's actually 90 different PowerPoints. There's there's five different le- uh, five different days, five different lessons, but they've all been made differentiated between age levels and also differentiated in terms of flexibility. So each day you can run a 15 minute version, a 30 minute or a 60 minute version. Um, and there's a teacher pack, there's a social action guide. Um, there's even like posters that you can download to print off. There's even a certificate that you can download if you want to run an internal social action awards. We've thought of all these things and um, yeah, absolutely get involved, um, sign up, send us an email. There is absolutely no reason why uh, any school in the world can't take part in it this year. And I hope, I hope they do. So for anyone listening, if you know somebody who's at all involved in schools, uh, encouragement to share out this podcast to them and of course all the resources on empathy-week.com ed Kiram, how can someone follow you or get in touch with you is there any way preferred way to, to track you down yep so you uh on all social media so facebook instagram twitter i am at ed Kerwin, uh e-d-k-i-r-w-a-n and uh, you can email me at ed at empathy-week.com. Beautiful. Ed, thanks for coming on the show. Looking forward to participating in your week in England, in the UK rather. And um, yeah, let's uh, keep on spreading the good word. Thanks, Vincent. And, and thank you for being an ambassador as well, which My, we haven't really mentioned. But That's all good. Yeah, My awesome. Pleasure. Thank you very much. You better. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. is a real
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.